Alright, please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. How long do you believe something you're told? Somebody tells you, Mom, I'm going to clean my room. How long do you believe that? <laughs> or you're going to get a raise at work, just letting you know. How long do we believe those things? When we're told something, how long do we believe it? We kind of believe it until it doesn't seem like it's going to happen for us, right? Or it doesn't seem like it's going to, there's going to be any follow through. How does that relate to our faith in God? How does that relate to our walk with God? And so it's really, when I first started this section, I was like, man, this is kind of, there's not a whole lot there. And then I realized there's a whole lot here more than I, more than I first saw. And so we believe something dependent on who tells us and the evidence we see, right? And so... We're going to be looking at this morning at Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph's undying faith. And so we're going to pick up in verse 20 and read to verse 22. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob, Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at these men. And I thank you for the example that they set. And I pray, as we jump into this and we see their faith today, I pray and ask that we'll have the same faith. I pray that we'll learn from them and that we'll not give up. And so, Father, I ask you to speak to each and every one of us. And, Father, we look forward to you. Hearing your voice and following after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are told, by faith, Isaac blessed both Jacob and Esau. By faith, Isaac blessed both Jacob and Esau. Now, why... Is it by faith that he blessed them? You know, because, and we're going to talk about Old Testament blessings here in a minute, because that's an important part of everything that's going on. But one of the things we learn about Isaac is Isaac was blind. He went blind later in his life. We know that he was old and he couldn't see. And those of you who um, have been around for a while have started pulling out the reading glasses and other things, know that as we 
spend the more time we spend on this earth, the less sharp some things are, some things kind of slip. And his eyesight had gone so much that they had to be announced who they were to him, that he could he couldn't see them to rely on his own eyes. And we know that that was part of Jacob's plan when Jacob did what he did to not only steal the birthright, but the blessing as well. And we're going to read that in just a moment. And so, by faith, he was trusting because he couldn't see who he was blessing. But it was also by faith because he was putting his confidence in God to take care of his boys. You know, I think that's significant. Now, it's it's really interesting as you break this down. As we're going to see a pattern with that. Of parents feel a responsibility to their children, don't they? But... God, we can rely on God to raise them as well. We can rely on God, and we ought to be relying on God to insert himself into their lives. The greatest decision they make will be what they do with Jesus Christ. And so it was by faith that he blesses them. And so in Old Testament, paternal blessing was considered a high honor. It usually went to the firstborn son. That was the tradition. And it was an honoring of the father to the son. The passing on, the pronouncement of blessings and things that the father saw and felt uh, leadings of God in his own life toward that child. And many times they came true. As you look at the blessings that were given and you watch what happened... Those are the things that ended up taking place in the lives of those children. And so blessing your children was an interesting thing. Jacob, again, Isaac had blessed them by faith. Jacob later repeats the pattern when he blesses his 12 sons in Hebrews, or in Hebrews, in Genesis chapter 49. He takes every one of them. Now, it's interesting because, watch this. There's so much in here. The firstborn son usually gets the blessing. But in this situation, when Jacob and Esau came in, and Esau was like, well, wait, don't you have a blessing for me too? After Isaac realized he had been tricked, and he blessed him, and it was kind of mediocre. We'll read that in a minute. When it came time for Jacob to bless his sons, he didn't just bless the firstborn. He blessed all twelve. So he saw the effects of blessing all of your children and he applied it into his life. And I think that was part of the faith that was taking place with Isaac and later with Jacob. And we'll get to that. And so let's look at the blessings that Isaac gave these two boys. In Genesis chapter 27 verses 26 through 29, we know that Let me set the stage a little bit. We know that Jacob's mom, Rebecca, or sorry, Rachel, I knew it was R. Rachel, she she had heard Isaac talking to Esau, and she said, quick, go get me one of the fatlings of of your herd, and and I'll cook up something I know your dad's going to like. And then you can go, you know, and he's like, hey, Esau's a hairy man, and I'm a bald man. He goes, no, no. She says, no, no, I'll, t- I'll take care of that. And so he puts on this, this 
animal skin and he, that smells like the field. And she tricks Isaac into the blessing. And so we pick up that his father, Isaac, said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. Because he had heard his voice, he said, You sound like Jacob, not Esau. So he came close and kissed him, and we smelled the smell of his garments. He blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fat, fatness of the earth an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. So he gives this to Jacob. And then Esau is upset. He said, don't you have anything for me also? What about me? And so he blesses him with this abundance and this leadership. And then Esau comes in and he's broken and Isaac is also broken that it wasn't his son Esau. And in verse 38, Esau says to his father, you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me, even, also, even me also, oh my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling. And away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about, when you become restless, that you will break his yoke from your neck. Doesn't sound like much of a blessing, does it? It's kind of a, son, you can have a rough life, but eventually you'll, you'll uh, get away from that. And so the blessing that, that, as you study this and read it, is that it wasn't a forever thing. Eventually, at some point, there's going to be a division where you come out from under that. And so he gives them these blessings, but his was kind of a hunting and serving of his brother versus abundance and leadership. Which is really interesting because out of the line of Jacob comes Jesus. And so we see by faith Isaac blessed them even regarding things to come. See, we can't see, we can see what's here and now, but God, when he speaks to us, he speaks to us about things to come. Or things to go do, or things going on in our life, or things that are going to happen. And he speaks of things to come. Now, and which is really interesting because this whole this whole thing, they had been promised the land. They had been promised a place where God would dwell with them. And none of these guys saw it. None of them. Hence the question, when somebody tells you something, how long do you believe it? But it, since it was God who told them, their faith was unwavering. So he talks about the things to come. No man knows the future. But Isaac's blessings were pronouncing his confidence in God's hand upon their future endeavors. 
And so we don't know, but when God speaks, we have confidence and our confidence in him is where our faith comes from. And so when he says by faith, he blessed them by faith, he blessed Jacob and by faith, he blessed Esau. These were the, his faith was in God and his blessings flowed out of that. And so both Jacob and Esau apparently felt locked in by their father's blessing. Well, otherwise, why would Esau be upset? How many of you ever said, how many of you have ever said, well, I'm not going to be like my parents? Right? Jeannie didn't move a muscle. Her mom is within arm's length. <laughs> Right? And so, <laughs> but we end up, and, and you remember the first time you heard yourself say something your parents would have said? And you're like, oh no. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. Stevie, you're destined. <laughs> and that's just how it works. And so they felt locked in. Their father had told them that. And sure enough, he watched their life and it played out just like that. And so listen. Listen, fathers, have faith for your family. Be a cover for them. They need you to lead. You know, we talk about, and, and this is not, this is not a, a ooh-ooh kind of, we're going to get up, you know. This is... A man broken on his knees before God, hearing the voice of God. And I'll tell you what, anybody, if a family who knows that the patriarch in that family is doing that are going to listen to him because they're listening for the voice of God in and through him. So fathers, that's the deal. And so we have Isaac's faith. But not only do we see Isaac's faith here, we see... We see Jacob's faith. By faith, as he was dying, he blessed the sons of Joseph. So he's blessing his grandkids. Genesis 48. I want you to watch how this plays out. Genesis 48, verses 8 through 20. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? <laughs> Who are those kids? <laughs> Joseph said to his father, They're my sons, whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from that age that he could not see. Does that sound familiar? Isaac had it. Now, Jacob has it. That he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, Israel, which is also Jacob, said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand 
toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and left his hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn, he, he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, in the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth, which was the promise. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. He thought he had mixed them up. Place your right hand on his head, but his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He will also become a people, and he will also be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Which he was also as the second born before his brother Esau. And so we saw Joseph from his life and what happened with him. He's repeating it with his grandchildren. And he's putting that upon the second born and not the first. Interesting, right? How what we experience and what we go through affects what we do. And so, but here's some observations about Jacob. He had the same problem as his father had. He had blindness. Couldn't see well. He was losing that. Children, pay attention to what's going on with your parents and their ailments. Because you will face some of those things. Because they are, you have their genes. You know, as you get older, you begin to share and help each other with that. That's part of the journey. He did the same thing his father did and blesses the second born. So we're watching this, this pattern repeat. And, but he made sure that he did what? That he blessed both boys. And so this is kind of a departure from what the blessing and the birthright was. And so by faith, we're told that by faith, as he was dying... He worshipped leaning on his staff. See, his faith in God did not weaken as he got older. Because he had received promises. He had heard commitments. He had heard the things that God had told them. That God had said. And they had not yet seen it. And the older he gets, you would think, well, we haven't seen what God said. Why should I keep serving? But it's not only... Not getting weaker, it's actually stronger. And you know why it's stronger? Because of who said it. 
We are such a self-centered generation. We think this is it. Our birth to our death is it. That's not it. We're a blip on the screen of the plan of God. And His plans were going on before us that we're reading them. And learning from that. And we believe in these great plans that God has for the future. We say, oh yeah, one day Jesus will return. One day there will be this tribulation. One day there will be a millennial kingdom. One day all of that will depart and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. And then we look at our life and we kind of say, you know, God, what are you doing for me now? And we don't see, we don't learn the lessons of our fathers, of those who've gone before us. We don't apply them. We don't take them. And we don't maintain. I can't tell you people that I've talked to over my life in ministry that their faith has waned instead of grown stronger. And if our faith is based upon our circumstances, then I can understand that. But our faith is not. My circumstances are not the foundation of my faith. The foundation of my faith is Jesus Christ and the fact that He has done who He is and He's done everything He's ever said to me. And so whether I ever see it or not, He may have shown me something that's not going to come in my lifetime. I may have been this little part of it that He's going to do this with. That's okay. As long as I'm doing my part. And so his faith got stronger. It actually strengthened. And then we move to Joseph's faith. In verse 22. By faith, when Joseph was dying, he made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel. yet here he's dying he knows he's dying and he's saying God's going to deliver you God's going to deliver this people from this land Joseph just rescued them by being in the land right he was placed there to rescue Israel and that would turn on them into captivity right He never saw that. Well, he saw it, but he was never there for it. And so, you know, he might have had an issue saying, wait a minute, you know, you sent me here to rescue them and now they're in captivity. But see, the whole plan of God, had that not have happened, I want you to think about this. Had that not have happened, where they were held captive, we would never have had the Passover. And the Passover is the story of Jesus Christ. And so all these things work together by us uh, demonstrating our faith in God's plan, not the way we think it should work, not the way we would make it work, but the way God wants it to work. See, here he is dying, he has confidence that God's going to fulfill His promises and take Him to the promised land. 
And so on his deathbed, he wanted them to know that his faith was strong, even though he wouldn't get to see it personally. And here's the thing. God fulfills his word. Genesis 50, 22 through 26 says this. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Machir and the sons of Manasseh were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised in oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made his sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry up my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed in a pit and placed in a coffin in Egypt. And so that's the actual occurrence that Hebrews is referring to. And so he tells them, you're going to go up from here. You're not going to be remain here. And so we have to ask ourselves, does our faith in God only relate to our own life? Or does it apply to others and God's commitments to us? You know, is my faith just about me? Or does it apply to other people and to what God has said? See, we're so self-focused. And faith really leaves no room for self-centeredness. Because it's dependent on what God has said, dependent on God's ability to deliver, and our confidence in Him to do just that. It really doesn't have anything to do with us, except demonstrate to the world that we know that He will perform. See, here's the thing. We are not the center of the universe. God is. God is. That is so hard to remember when you got something going on that's upset you or when there's somebody cut you off in traffic. And we think, man, how, how could they do that? How, did they not even see me? They almost hit me. Or on a one-lane road coming to church and you get behind somebody who's going 10 miles under the speed limit. Especially if you live in the country. Or there's bicyclists in your way. Or farm equipment. Or animals in the road. I'm sorry, but this isn't about me either. <laughs> At that moment, we become the center of the universe. Well, this is all about me, and I'm upset, and this is not right. And we don't see the big picture of what God's up to. And instead of being on His agenda, we really want God to advance our agenda instead of us being in submission without the full knowledge of it and advancing His agenda. That's what these men were doing. They had promises given to them. Go into a land that I'll show you. 
and it will flow with milk and honey. What God did not show him in that was the famine, the feast and famine, uh, Egypt, the captivity, the Pharaoh's denials, the deliverance. He didn't show him the manna and the two pillars of fire and smoke. He didn't show him any of that. He showed him here and showed him here. These things had to take place so that God could show us about his son. And so we have to take God and his word whether we understand it all or not. And sometimes when you take God at his word, it doesn't fall out the way you think you understood it. But that doesn't mean it's not happening the way God wants it to happen. And the more that we try to put our anticipated end or expectations upon God is going to create more instability in our faith than it is to move us forward. Because if God has to behave the way that I think, I've got two problems. Number one, God ain't in submission to me. And number two, I ain't God. He didn't know me nothing. I owe him everything because of the cross. And so here he is. He does. This is, if you want a biblical example of prearranging your funeral, here it is. He gave orders concerning his bones. See, knowing you're facing death. When you know it's your time and your time is short, will your faith be stronger or weaker? He's sitting here telling them, I'm about to die. Let me tell you what to do with my bones when I'm dead. And demonstrates some of the greatest faith we've seen. See, here's people who were told and given promises of God that never saw them fulfilled other than by faith. That's why I was like, man, this is thin. You know, we want to see God say, I'm coming in a, in a chariot with white horses and we want to see him show up. We don't want to see people waiting their entire life for that to come back, to happen. But see, the bottom line is God has spoken to us about some things. And we're like, where are you, God? Instead of saying, God told me and I believe and I trust him, whether I ever see it or not. See, that's genuine faith. Genuine faith never has to see it. That's why this passage is so important. Because faith is confidence in him. And acting based upon that confidence. That's how you move from belief to faith. Yeah, I believe that God could, could hold me up. But I never step out in his hand and get in his hand. 
When belief converts to faith, it's when I act upon my belief because God led me there. Then you've given birth to faith. And so what have we learned about undying faith? See, some people would say that God failed those men. Some people would say that God did not deliver. That God didn't come through. He told them that they would go to a land filled with milk and honey. And that His blessings were upon their descendants and generations. And out of them the whole world will be blessed. think they understood Jesus when he said that? We know one of them did. When Abraham saw my day, he was glad. I think there may be others. That's my take. We have to prove it here, right? It's what God's word says. But what, so what do we learn? about undying faith. Undying faith understands we only play a part in the overall plan of God. God's plans don't stop when I'm dead. So play it. Play the role that God's given you. Do your part. You know, it's amazing to me. I'm starting to hear, you know, some of you know that I turned 50 last week. Happy birthday. Thank you. And to some of you, that seems old. And some of you are like, 50? <laughs> I wish I was 50 again. <laughs> and I'm hearing more and more and more and more about people in their 50s that are dying. not encouraging but you know it's a reality check that there actually is an entrance you know there's people who die before they turn 10 years old there's children dying of cancer today there's people out there getting killed in car wrecks and we're not even going to discuss murder and the things that happen to teenagers we're not guaranteed a lot of time. And the older you get, the real you realize that even this thing, even even uh, what we think is a lot of time, ain't. Ask somebody in their sixties and seventies if they can remember when they were sixteen. And it seems like it's yesterday. And it's just these things is all I, you know, is this it? We're only a part of this. Listen, he is at work around you. He's at work around you. Look for him. Look for him and don't fold when times get tough. Everybody wants to quit when something difficult happens or they, they get into a yeah, yeah with somebody. Or we don't like that preacher didn't say hello when he walked into me. Well, you didn't say hello to me either. Oh, right. Again, this is not about me. Nobody's ever said that, just for the record. For the record. It ain't about me. 
It ain't about you. It's about him. That's why we're here. That's why we go. That's why we serve. That's why we show up. We get to serve each other. And you know what? You know what's really interesting? For those mechanics out there, which I am not one of you. (laughs) When an engine runs, it needs lubrication, right? We all kind of know that. You change your oil. If you don't change your oil, bad things happen, right? But I would imagine that in the process of manufacturing an engine, that there's imperfections in the engine, right? I mean, a perfect circle is kind of hard to come up with, and that's what the cylinders move up and down in, and to not have any little burrs. But after an engine is run for a period of time, those little burrs and those things work their way out, don't they? Kind of take care of itself. But it does that by friction, by working together. And as we work together, we're going to get better. We're going to knock burrs off one another. We're going to lubricate. We're going to be committed. And that's how the function works. And so, what we understand is there's a plan of God that's going on. We've been inserted into it by the fact that He gave us life. But when I'm dead, whenever that may be, we don't know. It could be before next Sunday. You might want to get a sermon ready just in case. It'll be short because Stephen's traveling this week. (laughs) Now they don't know how to pray for me. (laughs) It could be next week. We don't know any of that. Nobody's promised that. People, I... (laughs) This is a true story. In the city, I, this, there was a, a family, a young family. They were in their 30s. And they were making a turn down here on uh, Kelly Lane, going up on 685. And the mother was, was T-boned. Killed her. Two young kids. Two weeks later, you know, they went through the funeral. They go through all this. Two weeks later, the father that worked at the airport was working on a door. It was a... Uh, uh, one of those doors that they create some pressure and the door blew out and flew out the plane and was killed. Kids, no parents. You don't know, folks. We're not promised tomorrow. I know the people who are ministering to them. How do you answer that one? You go, man, that's tough. But the truth is, God has a plan for those children. As long as you're alive, it goes and God's plan extends beyond your death. Think about the people who have died and gone before us who is God still using. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Bob. Insert your name here. And so we're only a part of the overall plan of God. Undying faith that understands the work of God goes beyond our lifetime. As we look back, we see how God was working and we see how He's working now and we have confidence He's not finished working when our time comes. Have faith to the end. God is still at work. It's not over when you're over. And if you're saved, you're never over because you have eternal life. 
so it goes beyond. So there's an overall, we're part of this overall, it goes beyond our death. Undying faith sees things as true that haven't happened yet. Listen, God will finish what he starts. If he's led you to do something, if he's led you to pray for somebody, you may not know why. You may never see the decision. You may never see them turn their life around, and that's okay. That's God's deal. And the last thing we take away from this is faith is caught as much as taught. We see it in Jacob's family for sure. He saw how God worked with him and his brother, Jacob and Esau, and he repeated the pattern. Because that's what God had showed him. And so parents realize this, your children are going to pick up faith from you. They will learn from you. And so it's important that we have undying faith. Not temporary faith, not self-centered faith, not faith as long as things go well with me. Here are guys who uprooted themselves, took off, ended up in captivity, and their faith in God's promises never changed. What an example. What an example for us. You know, these, these, these two explorers, they were on a jungle safari when suddenly this ferocious lion dropped down on them. And the one explorer said to the other one, he said, remember what we read in the book on wild animals. If you stand perfectly still and look at the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. And his companion said, sure, you've read the book. I've read the book. But as he read the book and pointed at the lion. question is for us <laughs> are we on the same page as God he wrote the book have you read the book because when it's God's book it's going to happen mm-hmm. guaranteed 100% has to has to and if it doesn't here's the thing This is the old gambler's argument. If I'm wrong and somebody else is wrong, if I'm wrong about all of this, and it's just when we're dead, we're dead. This is still a pretty good life. And I really haven't lost anything. But if I'm right and the world is wrong, when we're both dead, they've lost everything. And it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk. Why would you? Listen, will your face, will your face, will your faith last into eternity? Or will it wane over time? 
You know, I remember um, I was at a New Age bookstore. They're like, what were you doing at a New Age bookstore? It was an assignment for school. I was in a class that was titled Understanding and Evangelizing New Age Followers. And our school forced us into circumstances to apply the learning we had. That was what they did for us. So it wasn't just all head knowledge. We had to live it. Thank God for the school that will do that. And so, and I was the third group of 60 people coming through, that poor bookstore owner. And I thought, there's no way, you know, because we're, you know, I was looking for opportunity to share, you know. And uh, others were just looking at the materials. And this was in a house. This is off the literature. It was in a house, so there's rooms and there's back rooms and and so I was wandering my way through, and they, you know, they prepped us. They said, "Don't go in here unprepared," you know, ladies and gentlemen. And they're telling pastors and people in school this, and so I'm like, "Ooh, okay. Well, I better be prayed up." And so we were praying, and I found myself in this little side room, and in that side room there was these two teenagers, and I was a youth pastor at the time, and I figured everybody had been at least shared with 180 times by then. <laughs> So and I was Johnny come lately because I was in the I was in the fourth group. Well, these two teenagers were standing there. And nobody had talked to them. We sent 180 people through, and not a single person shared Christ. That's a problem. That's not my point, though. So this this boy and this girl are there, and I, they asked me. I said, I started I just brought up started conversation with them, and they asked, you know, said so. You know, they asked me what we were doing there. And I said, well, I said, we're in for the Baptist convention. And the boy's eyes lit up. He goes, oh, I used to be a Christian. And of course, my ears lit up to that comment, as you can imagine. And I, and I didn't jump on it. I said, well, tell me about what does, what does that mean? And he was in Sunday school and they scared him. They tried, to, they tried to scare him into heaven by telling him he was going to burn in hell. The teacher did, and she drove him for a decision. And he never went back. See, Paul said it's the love of Christ that constrains me to go. It's Jesus Christ's love that draws us into a relationship. Not fear. And so we talked for a little bit. And we departed from there. But see, this world is filled with people who would say that exact thing. I used to be a Christian. Or I'm a Christian by proxy. And the enemies deceived them to thinking that they're okay when they're not okay. And we have a call. They want to see a genuine, authentic, real faith that doesn't flake out when tough times come. They're used to seeing that. They see it all the time. Think of how many people that we see. I get, here's a great one. I'm completely going to turn up. How many news personalities that we trusted growing up with have fallen in the last five years? Have been caught making up stories with no evidence. We trusted them. And so we live in an age of distrust, disfaith. People that have failed us. People that we look to. That we say, well, I don't know. 
Now I don't know who to trust. Isn't that what happens? And ladies and gentlemen, we may be small, but we serve a powerful God. And it's not about numbers, except for the fact that he loves every one of them and they matter. And somebody's got to tell them. But we also need to rescue those Christians who have broken down and fallen through the cracks and nobody hears them. Who are laying out there hurt and wounded. Because nobody was willing to engage and find out what the problem was and see what God is doing. Many times in our life when that happens, God is doing something in us. Both. Instead, it becomes about us instead of Him. And we have a calling to this community. I don't know the whole journey. I think I've seen parts of it. But I'm afraid it might just be the promised land and go to a land and I'll show you. I didn't know about Egypt. And I definitely didn't know about the famine. I've watched... I've watched God take this church from being on my knees in prayer, me and Terry, and this being it, to needing, when we moved in here, we bought 200 chairs. To it dropping down. And then one day, Tamara and I were talking. Remember, I remember this. You had to watch out for Tamara. Because God speaks through Tamara. Everybody moves away. <laughs> I've been sensing something, and Tamara put it into words. She said, I think God wants us weaker before we're stronger. And I felt relieved, and I felt oh shoot at the same time, because I'd heard the same thing. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it'll never live. When this ceases to be about us, about us building a big church, it's terrible. You should. I wish I could take all of you to a pastor's conference. It's awful. I would feel that way if I had a thousand or ten thousand members to hear them talk. In the, and it's this braggadocious, I'm, I have value because my church is large. Let me tell you something. You have value because Jesus died for you. And I don't care if there's 10,000 or 100,000 or one here. That better be the measure. And I will not compromise it ever. But I do think we're called to go. We're starting to make changes. Some of you have noticed some pain, some things that have been going on. If you'd like to be involved in that, we'd invite you to participate. I know what it means. I know how it feels to be disrailed. I've been there. You're going, I didn't see this, God. I don't understand this. This makes no sense. And all he says is, just trust me, just trust me. Do you trust me? Put your confidence in him. And have undying faith. Faith that goes beyond your lifetime. I'm going to say we bow their head and close their eyes.